Howdy gang, thank you for tuning to Back in the Country and Barbells. Today's episode is a special one. We have Kristen Oja joining the show. Hopefully I said that right, Kristen. Um, Kristen is a is the founder of Stat Wellness and a nurse practitioner. Kristen obtained her Doctorate of Nursing practice, Masters of Science in Nursing um, with Family Nurse Practitioner Focus and is a registered nurse. She is also an entrepreneur, functional and lifestyle medicine guru, personal trainer, fitness instructor, and lover of everything health and wellness. And as you guys are going to find out that um, she's super interested in the gut, the belly, the bugs within you that um, are in a lot more control and have their hand in much more than we all think they do. And uh, Kristen and I talk about um, what you can do to cultivate a happy gut, a functional gut, and also, you know, give you some discussion points to assess your own gut health. And then we even get into what you can do proactively um, to make sure your gut is in the best status possible going into a long hunt. And as you'll find out, um, she's more than just a nurse. She's been in the field before. She's uh, been on a hunt with her papa. And if we're lucky, we can get her um, into the elk woods sooner rather than later. So guys, I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you're into it, go to her website, statwellness.com. She, um, they, run a, they run a cash-based uh, clinic. And you'll find that she's coaching people up. They're doing a lot more than just um, prescribing meds. They're talking lifestyle. They're trying to get folks training. But her practice is based out of Atlanta, but they're always accepting remote clients and they have a great blog. And um, I think it'd be worth your time to explore um, this functional medicine approach. So we're super happy to have Kristen. Kristen, thank you so much. Also, guys, you know, show sponsor, you know we love Ellsworth socks. Uh, We talk about them all the time. We wear them all the time. And hey, going over to my Instagram, you'll see that even when I'm going um, hard for my body weight drills. Uh, you know, I keep the dang, um, Ellsworth socks on. I wear them in the field, I wear them in the garage and, um, love them. Uh, the most advanced sock in the game V channel is patented technology. Guys, no sock out there is working harder to keep your feet drier. You can save 20% B and B 20. Um, that's going to save you some money. And, uh, let me tell you what, even if you don't like the dang socks or they don't live up to um, their claims, I don't think there is a better guarantee in the world of socks. Guys, you can wear these socks for two years. And if you're not happy, first off, how many socks last for two years? But you can wear these socks for two years. And as long as you keep your proof of purchase, if you're not happy at the end of that two years, you can exchange the socks, get a new pair of socks. So um, Pete Dahlgren and the gang over at... um. Ellsworth do a great job. They're a locally based company for us here in the Pacific Northwest, right out of Gig Harbor, Washington. And um, Pete's a fly fisherman. His grandfather played for the Yankees. Uh, it's a great American story, bringing manufacturing, bringing products back to the U.S. Help support him. Help support the mission. Help support our show, guys. Review it. Tell your friends about it. Let us know what you think. But above all, um, train, hunt, and live your best life possible and we hopefully our conversation today with Kristen gets you there thank you very much and enjoy howdy gang backcountry and barbells joe shamanic uh jeremy's not here today but i have a a nice stand-in um Kristen Kristen from stat wellness Kristen, what's going on hello i'm so happy to be here with you guys um from atlanta we're on exact opposite coast right now 
I know, 3,000 miles away, but talking like we're in the same room. Um, Technology is great. It's interesting. Uh, the current events and, and things like that. Um, and we've done this before a little bit. So um, this is no, this is not a new conversation, but a fun one to have. But I wanted to reach out for you a couple of reasons. My wife slid this interesting article across my desk, which we'll get to. But a lot of the folks that I'm training, um, uh, some of them are using you guys. And I thought, hey, well, let's get Kristen back on to talk about what's going on in the belly and, and some things around fitness that can contribute to strength and, and some things like that. So, um, but uh, let's, you know, this is a hunting podcast. And I didn't know this. You've been on a hunt before. A whitetail yes. experience, right? Yes. I hunted one time for deer. And I was okay. telling you before we went live that um, I was, it was honestly quite a boring experience. I had to get out there super early, get myself in a deer stand. I couldn't say a word. I sat and watched for deer for several hours, saw nothing. And then when you were telling me about your elk hunting and the mountain bikes and the noise you get to make and you get to go out there with friends, I'm like, man, that sounds like such a different experience than hunting for deer. Yeah, well, it's, and everyone does it different. And the whitetail experience is different than the um, elk experience. But I'll be honest, I think the key with it is to kind of get a little bit of both and find, because I know what, what kind of screws me up as a hunter is not being patient. So you can bring some of that whitetail stuff into the elk situation, but um, it's fun. It's cool that you got out there. Were you out there? Were you toting a rifle, bow and arrow? What were you doing? Shotgun? I think that would, would you come with a shotgun? Was Pro it a rifle? Probably a rifle. Probably a rifle. Yeah, it was, it's, it was something long and <laughs> I did go shoot mistletoe out of a tree after. Okay, cool. It's like way up high in the tree and you shoot it at the base and it drops down. It was uh, November, December timeframe when we went. So I got to feel the kickback of a big gun like that on your okay. shoulder. I had no idea the power behind these guns. So well, the gun, the gun stuff's interesting and it's not what, um, it's not the hunting I prefer to do or, or what I do. I, I definitely like the bow stuff. And, uh, you know, to be honest, you know, to kind of out myself to some folks who listen to the show, like, I don't know how comfortable I am with rifles either. Right. And, and, you know, I didn't grow up with them. Um, I have kids right now, but I am going that way where I see the use for firearms for lots of different reasons. And especially for hunting success, you don't have to get as close, but there's something about the bow for a couple of reasons. You get closer to the animal, which is a wild experience, but I like the practice of it. And yes. um, to speak on what you do more from even just a mindfulness standpoint, what I like about archery is it's that how do you replicate the same thing all the time under different stimulus? And, and for me, it's also a cool meditative practice where, again, with modern days, you're you know, I got this Lego table in front of me. I got three kids downstairs going crazy. I'm trying to train people. I'm scatterbrained. But when you're on the bow range, you're just focused on pulling back and letting go. And and that's pretty wild. I love that. Yeah. And I just love the whole hearing you kind of talk about the hunting experience. The opportunity is to disconnect and just kind yeah. of escape. We didn't really talk about this, but do you guys have cell phones out there? Like, do you talk with people or are you completely disconnected? We try to disconnect as much as possible. I mean, I'll, we'll go out there. There are some like um, apps you can use to keep the cell phone active, but they run in airplane mode. They're like little GPS things, but no. And that's the other thing. The goal is to disconnect. And when you say disconnect, you are disconnecting from all this, all the other stuff we're doing, the extras, but what you're actually, I feel like you're connecting Reconnecting. with nature and yourself because you, you sit there I've sat, I'll sit in a spot, you know, you sit in a spot for like an hour 
And how many times do you sit for somewhere for an hour and do nothing? But when you do that, you remember funny things. <laughs> You're thinking different stuff. You hear different things. Birds start chirping around you. It's wild. Do you spend time journaling when you're out there? Do no, you, but I think that's an, I think that's the next step. I mean, I, I just got done a book. I just got done the rise of Theodore Roosevelt. And um, you guys go back to the last podcast we did with Phil White, where we talked about living the strenuous life. But, you know, Teddy journaled all the time. And it got me to thinking like, you know, my kids and the wife were looking at my wife will do a catalog every year. You know, she takes all the pictures with the phone. But she actually does a really good job of getting real um, bundling pictures together in a book. And she was pulling all the old books out with the kids and flipping them through. And I was like, it would be cool to actually look at a hunting journal from last year. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking about doing some of that. Is that, is that something you think is, is valuable? I think so, especially when you think of the mind-body connection and just that self-reflection. So sometimes you can think about a lot of thoughts, but the act of actually writing it down and using different areas of your brain and then you can go back and look at it and i just i have never been in your experience of elk hunting but i imagine the things that you learn about yourself in that journey is probably really fascinating as well and you want to be able to go back and reflect and remember those things so oh, yeah. i always suggest having a journal to write down these thoughts that you have along the way well i think i do that's why i like to do podcasting because i'll i like to talk out some of those experiences but i think writing it down will be would be another cool level maybe uh I'll, I, maybe I say it now, I'll commit to it. I'm going to try and do that. I like to write things down. I like to talk about it, but I think having a little journal and reflecting then and it would be cool. Cause I, even in my own personal life, when I start to get dialed in and not sleeping, one thing that I instantly go to is this little mechanism where I'll go get like, a, um, I got a stack of them over here, composition books. So when I can't sleep, I'll go get one and I write down the three things that are bothering me most. And then I'll close the book. And then the thought is, and I'm sure you might have heard this before, when you put it down, then it's there for you to wake up. And it's just not in your mind rattling. And that is super useful. And that's a legit thing that I've done. So I can't imagine that it wouldn't help journaling the hunt. I think it's a great strategy. You'll have to do it next time you go out there and let me know. I'm going to do that. Cool. Well, we, we got Kristen on for a couple of reasons. And the big one for me is there's another thing that I'm interested in too, is gut health. And, um, you know, I do a couple things to tinker with it. And I thought we would talk about it and um, we'll get through there. But it comes to mind in current events because my wife slipped, you know, she, I'm making kimchi, right? Um, I'm getting the kids on sauerkraut and doing things. She goes, by the way, you, and I'm asking her to buy me kefir. And she's like, you know, you might be onto something. You know, I just saw this article that uh, something about fermented vegetables and COVID and per prevalence and this and that. And um, are you tracking any of that? I mean, it, you know, causation isn't or, or Correlation isn't causation, but uh, is something there? What's going on? Absolutely. And I think it's the study I'm assuming that your wife sent you is a European study. Yep, exactly. And it is very intriguing because they basically took 13 different research centers from Germany and Spain and Portugal and Switzerland and France and people all over and kind of joined forces to look at this. And they found that people that lived in countries that consumed large amounts of fermented vegetables had better COVID outcomes. And so mm -hmm. in their observation, what they basically reported from this study is that each gram of fermented vegetables per day lowered your risk of COVID-19 mortality by 35.4%, uh, which that is shocking. You know, you're it's talking hard. about gram, 35.4%. And of course, 
you know, one of the big things they say is this is not a good randomized controlled trial. It is not a meta-analysis. So there's a lot more that needs to come out of it. But when you think about the gut health, which I know we'll get into, and you think about the role that fermented vegetables play in our gut health and our immune system, it just makes sense. And so just having people open up this conversation and people from all over the world join together and document the reduction in COVID mortality is fascinating. So this initial study that comes out, it, it, is a lot of it based on just, just a, is it like one of these survey things, people answered questions and then they all of a sudden ran the analysis and saw something. So it's like the start of something that could work yes. essentially, right? It gives us a question to, to answer. Yes. And I'm hoping that this is going to be a really great kind of pilot, let's say, and we're going to have more good randomized controlled trials. And even though you want to get a lot of probiotics from fermented vegetables, it would be interesting to even see if we put somebody on a controlled probiotic, like what was the outcome of them being on a probiotic with COVID-19 outcomes. So I think we're going to see a lot more research on it. But again, you know, you think about your gut as being the house for 75 to 85% of your immune system. Mm. And a lot of COVID mortalities are related to a cytokine storm. It's actually the inflammatory response that is making people so sick from COVID. Hmm. And if we can calm that immune response, and if we have a really healthy gut, we're not going to get that same cytokine storm. So it does make sense. And so I think you can get fermented foods from other ways. And so one of the big things I really brought in, because at Stout Wellness, we do functional medicine, which is root cause medicine. And so a lot of our patients are coming in and just wanting to make sure that they're as healthy as they can be with this pandemic that everybody in the world is suffering from. And one of the big questions as I'm talking with them is gathering information about their gut health. So were you a C-section or a vaginal delivery? Were you breastfed? How many antibiotics have you been on? And there's lots of ways in, in someone's history to kind of gather what impact has their lifestyle played a, a role on their gut microbiome? And some of our patients actually want to test it. So they do stool tests and they send off and they look at the amount of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium in their gut. So it's just, it's exciting because my whole dissertation was on the gut health. So I think Ooh. it's a really important area to talk about. We see Kristen, Kristen, that, that pistol fired on gut health and she went sprinting right down there. So we got, we're going to have to backtrack a little bit and kind of re-educate the audience a little bit on some of that stuff. Cause it is, it's, it's cool stuff. And there's different ways. And the, the term you were mentioning too, when we're talking about probiotic and you, you kind of were interplaying them a little bit, probiotic and fermented foods. Right. And yes. um, as I understand them, you know, when you're talking about fermented vegetables, krauts, kimchi, things like that, and then there's some other places to get them that folks might be listening to yogurts. I drink a lot of kefir, but then you can also supplement it. So when we look at those three sources that at least from my standpoint that I get, uh, what are the, the differences between them and, and are uh, from, I guess, uh, cause it's alive, right? These things are alive in us. Are there different, are these communities different? That might be a good question. Yes. Absolutely. And every single person has a different gut microbiome in their digestive tract and their unique bacteria, yeast, viral needs are different. But when you think about all the fermented foods, different things are going to grow in that fermentation process. So different bacteria, different yeast, and all of those things that you mentioned are excellent sources. Kombucha is another, another really good example. Um, tempeh, anything that's been fermented, it has bacteria and yeast. And you could have two kombuchas that have different strains of bacteria, depending mm. on the SCOBY when you're making it. 
Uh, so it's really, it's interesting, but all of them are beneficial bacteria and yeast, and you really need a good diversity of them. So it's not like, okay, this lactobacillus strain is the best one. Everybody in the world needs to take this lactobacillus strain and they're going to be their healthiest self. It really depends. Do you have constipation or diarrhea? Do you have bloating? Do mm. you have a lot of bifidobacterium and you don't have a lot of lactobacillus? Cool. Do you have, do you need more yeast? Like, do you need more Saccharomyces boulardia? So my recommendation when I, and when I work with patients is if your gut is relatively healthy, you just want to incorporate a lot of these fermented vegetables and you want to get a good variety. You want to get the kimchi, you want to get the sauerkraut, you want to throw in some kefir, maybe do some apple cider vinegar. You want variety because the more diverse of a consumption of these fermented foods, the more diverse your gut microbiome is and ultimately the healthier your gut microbiome is. So could you ultimately look at, if you're looking at how to support your gut and we'll go, yeah, we should maybe backtrack in a moment and just define what the gut is too, because there's a lot of components even to go into that. But I mean, it almost, it almost is like you could look at fermented vegetables as a food group and just kind yeah. of tinker with it along the way. And maybe not to get too systematic on it, but like you said, just vary it up a little bit in the same way. You're not just going to eat broccoli. You know, you're, you want different vegetables. You want different. So like said, tell me how I'm hitting here. I really get it from, I'll eat yogurt. I drink kimchi. Excuse me. I eat yogurt. I drink kefir. And I'll either ferment cabbage or I'll make kimchi. And that, that's, that I would say I'll tinker with kombuchas here and there, but those are the four staples that I'm hitting. I think that's fantastic. And I think the biggest thing when you get into kombuchas or yogurts or things like that is really watching sugar. And some okay. of those things there, they can have a lot higher sugar concentration. And I, so that's all Greek. I like the Greek yogurt. I don't like the flavored yogurts. I, yeah. I picked up something too that sometimes these natural flavorings and some things like that can also be, they're calorie free, but that calorie free might inhibit or affect the belly itself. And you don't want to mess with that as well. Yeah. I say it always negates it. If you go and pick up one of those Greek yogurts, some of them that are flavored has 28 grams of sugar in one cup. That's mm. like more sugar than I recommend most of my patients get in a whole day. Sure. And that sugar feeds the bad bacteria and yeast in your gut. So you really want to get a good quality, plain, lower sugar. You're going to have some sugar in all fermented foods, typically, because you add sugar in the fermentation process for most of them. Um, like cow's milk, if you're doing a cow's milk yogurt, it naturally has some sugars and carbohydrates, and that's what helps eat away the fermentation process. So the more fermented it is, typically the less sugar. But the place I find a lot of people run into trouble is commercially available Greek yogurts. I always recommend looking for one that's less than 10 grams of sugar in a serving and kombucha. Some of those bottles, they're two servings in a bottle and it's not uncommon to see them at eight or 16 grams of sugar per serving. And you're having two of those in one bottle. So I encourage everybody to have a variety of fermented foods and also make sure you're looking at the sugar concentration because you want the full benefit of the bacteria. Well, and, and not to have people freak out, I got one more thing I got to look at. But in general, that sugar recommendation seems to be a recommendation that's probably something that you could cast an umbrella on with most of the foods you eat. I mean, you shouldn't, we, we don't want these, these high doses of sugar. So here's the question for you to relate it back to gut bacteria. Are those, are those bad bugs in the belly, are they bad because of the sugar or are they bad because they're bad? 
bad because they're bad if okay. you're talking about additional bacteria. So when you think about the gut microbiome, you're going to have absolutely beneficial organisms in your gut and you're going to have what's called additional bacteria. And a lot of that additional bacteria is what makes up our gut microbiome, but you want those really good organisms to be dominant. And so if that additional bacteria starts to become dominant, it can be what we call potentially pathogenic or possibly disease causing because all of us have some of that additional bacteria in our gut. You can't avoid it because you know, everything goes through our gut. Anything you touch, what even is in the soil, you're going to get exposed to some organisms that may not be super beneficial. But if you have a strong gut microbiome with, again, the lactobacillus, the bifidobacterium, the saccharomyces, those really good organisms, they're going to keep that additional bacteria suppressed. So when that balance becomes off, it's called dysbiosis. Uh, which is a term we use in functional medicine a lot, which just means there's an imbalance of the good and bad bacteria. So let's, we'll, we'll walk the conversation. And I guess what, you know, as you're listening, but we, I don't know if we necessarily need to really define the gut in particular what it is, but um, are these just all the little bacteria that are living in your small and large intestine? Am I, am I way off there? So the gut microbiome is what we're talking about. You may have yeah. heard of gut microbiome and you have, it's mainly in your large intestines. Gotcha. Your large intestines loves bacteria. If you get too much in your small intestines, you can get what's called small intestines bacterial overgrowth, which can cause a number of symptoms. So the majority of it's in your colon, your large intestines. And I find it fascinating that you have more than 10 times the amount of bacteria, viruses, and yeast in your large intestines than you have cells in your entire body. It's crazy. So it is it's trillions of organisms in this colon. And those organisms are either helping our health or hurting our health. And it's fascinating. It's the most, as you think about going on these elk hunting journeys and the soil and the, the little bugs you see and all these things, our gut microbiome is the most complex ecosystem in the world. It's crazy. So it, it is. It's like that brain emoji just blown. Well, and, and it makes you if just, I'm trying to filter my questions to you as we have this conversation because there's lots of places you can go. So we'll table that idea of comparing to elk hunting because I want to get into what you can do. Because like, we can do a lot at home to make sure our gut's healthy, but then we go somewhere and even traveling can change it. And and it's just a really interesting, it's a complex situation. So, um, and that that's ultimately where we're, and we're going to take this towards the end guys. So hang in there. Um, we will get to some good hunting advice and where this gets in there. But generally the thought too, is just to give you a background on what it is and what it's doing. And, 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 but it, it's just, it's an amazing community that's inside of us. Um, and, and we want to give you guys some of that. So, um, keep up with us on it guys. And, and we're going to get right into it. But so let's go right back to what you're talking about. You know, when there's an imbalance of bad versus good, um, I always think it's important. Like, yeah, we can go come to a spot like yours and, and do the stool test, which is really interesting, but I'm always looking for ways where I can assess myself first. So, okay, maybe if this has been going on for a while, I need to go see Kristen and see exactly what the imbalance is, but let me spend a moment in the same way. Like, okay, uh, Jeremy, um, he's my co-host on the podcast, but he's really fallen into Kelly Starrett's work. And I really like Kelly Starrett's work in, in terms of physical therapy because it's like, hey, you should do some basic maintenance. So what's the basic maintenance that, you know, if guys are starting to tinker with some of these fermented goodies where they can see if it's been a positive impact? So how do we assess ourselves in our own gut health? 
So I think one of the first things is to really evaluate where your gut's at currently. Okay. A lot of people never actually take time to think about how is their gut working. So one of the first things, and I know a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but is bowel movements. Are you having regular bowel movements every day? Well, here's not to, not to interrupt you, but we like bowel movements on this podcast because that's one of the ways we find critters. We're always looking at poop, picking oh, it up. That's no, not our own, but we're, I mean, we just maybe rather than looking for animal scat and picking it apart, we have to start picking our own apart a little bit. So is that where you're going with this? You're going to give us some, some things to look at to it. Okay. Let's do it. Ways to look at your own stool. Yes. Have you heard of the Bristol stool chart? You know, actually the first time we chatted, um, you talked about this between color, texture, things like that, right? Yes. So it gives you basically seven types. And so you can look at this Bristol stool chart and see how is your gut and how are your bowel movements looking? And that's one of the best things to look at to see how your gut's functioning. So you really want to be basically the type four. It's very smooth, very like snake-like, uh, very consistent, very regular. You definitely want to have at least one bowel movement a day, but a really healthy gut, they could have a bowel movement two or three times a day, a little bit after eating each time. So okay. that's the thing you want to assess first. The second thing is, Do you have any symptoms? Do you have any abdominal pain after eating, any bloating? Do you burp a lot after eating? Do you have indigestion, heartburn, uh, really bad smelling gas? Do you, you know, there's a whole slew of symptoms that you can look at to see how is your gut actually functioning? I always tell my patients, it is not normal to feel bloated after every meal. It is not normal to have heartburn. It is not normal to pop Tums every night before you go to sleep. Mm. If you're doing things like this, there's absolutely some gut dysfunction. So I think it's first really important to see where you're at. And then as you start incorporating more of these fermented foods, you can start to see is the, the shape and size of your bowel movement changing? Is the indigestion changing? Uh, for some of my patients, it's not even gut related. What you would think of as gut related, they notice their allergies get better. They notice they're less allergic to things in the environment when their gut is healthy and they're doing their fermented vegetables and keeping their sugar low in their diet. So there's a lot of ways to evaluate it, but I think the first thing is gut symptoms, looking at your bowel movements and really taking the time to check in and not normalizing any symptoms. Yeah. And I love that you bring up this don't normalize symptoms. And there's even this movement, even like with like, um, incontinence sometimes, right? Like, especially, you know, women after pregnancy, you know, sometimes will have issues with that. Um, uh, you know, but just because it might be, you don't want to normalize it, right? Just because it's happening all the time, or you have lots of friends who have, it doesn't make it normal, right? So we have to look at um, what's going on with our bodies. And if you have an irregular bowel movement, you know, that's, that that's, that's a sign. And I think that that's super important. So how sensitive is it? And, and is it, is it one bowel movement that's a little, little interesting? We should freak out. Um, you know how if we if we talk about intensity or volume of the inconsistency. I mean, when should we really begin to get concerned and say, okay, I need to check out a doc? So I think there's never a point where you should freak out. But okay. if your bowel movements are off one day, I always encourage you to look at what did you eat that day before. Are you stressed? Because we have to remember that our brain and our gut are connected. So if you're super stressed, if you didn't sleep as well, if you went out to eat and had fried food you normally don't eat, sometimes it's a very easy correlation and sometimes it's not. But my first thing I encourage patients to do is once something is a little bit different, look back and try to see if you can come up with any 
correlation for why you may have those symptoms. But I really think if you're having a symptom, like even once every other week, your bowel movements are changing, to me, that's significant enough to figure out what's going on. And there's a lot of things which we can talk about that you can start doing now at home to see how your gut is, is doing. Because it's not, I always tell people, you can't eat fermented foods and outdo a bad diet. You really sure. can't. Uh, fermented foods have to be in addition to a healthy diet that's rich in fiber, whole foods, low in sugar. Uh, that is kind of the perfect blend for gut health. We in America, and maybe your listeners do far better than the sad or standard American diet, but we eat way too many carbs, way too much sugar because it's put in everything, whether it's our marinade, our salad dressing, our taco seasoning, uh, things you would not imagine have sugar have sugar. And the average American only has about 10 to 15 grams of fiber per day, where mm. we encourage like 25 to 35 grams of fiber per day, because fiber is a prebiotic. Have you heard of prebiotics before? No, but prebiotic, I was going to, that was going to be one of the questions, you know, we have probiotic, right? But prebiotic, isn't that like, I mean, I don't want to speculate. You tell me what a prebiotic is, but isn't raw onion is a prebiotic or am I wrong? Okay. Yes. But I'm not exactly. So yeah. All right, go. So I know at least I have an idea, but go, go with me here. Go. So prebiotics, they're really finding are even more important than probiotics. And that's where if you want to change your gut microbiome, the best thing you can do is change your diet. And then the fermented foods, the probiotics and supplementing prebiotics are kind of the icing on the cake. But when we're talking about prebiotics, prebiotics are basically food for the good bacteria in your gut. So think of them as fertilizer. Okay. If you don't have enough prebiotics, the probiotics you get from fermented foods, from taking a probiotic, they may help, but they're kind of just going through you. They're not actually changing the colonization in your gut is unfortunately what some of the newer research is finding. And they're finding, well, if we change our diet and we eat high fiber foods, then we're feeding the good bacteria that we have and we're making our gut microbiome more diverse and healthy. So prebiotics are naturally found in fiber food. So it could be chicory root or inulin, asparagus, uh, leeks, um, even ground flaxseed has some, psyllium husk, tiger nut flour. If anybody's gotten into tiger nut flour is a huge prebiotic. So what, what, what's the most, um, I heard asparagus and leeks and they, they ring out to me because they're just, um, you know, that's food you find every day in the grocery store. So what are the easiest sources of prebiotic? So I really, anything with fiber. So cruciferous vegetables, leeks, garlic, onions, Jerusalem artichokes. I don't know if that's easy to find where you're at, but we have a lot of artichokes here. Does the preparation matter or does it have to be raw? So if you overcook it, you lose some of that fiber. So it, I don't think it has to be from my experience and how I coach my patients. I, you know, I don't think I've seen good enough data out there to support this, but it's kind of like when you think of broccoli, you just want to basically steam it to where it gets bright green. You don't want to overcook it. And it's the same with prebiotics. If you overcook the fibers, it doesn't feed the gut microbiome the same. So I encourage always a blend of lightly cooked prebiotics and raw prebiotics. I love it. There it is. That's easy. So, so get prebiotic in your diet. Um, so it sounds to me like, and kind of sum up a little bit of what you just blissed us with in terms of if you want to be proactive, get prebiotic. And if you also want to think about what not to do, avoid sugar. I mean, if you do those two things, you're at least taking two steps forward instead of 
just taking more stuff in when you just put a bunch of fermented foods in your belly. Yes, you're exactly right. And we've got to start thinking about the lifestyle. It's not about what we can add in a supplement or what we can add with fermented vegetables. Like, yes, those are good, but we've got to think of what are we actually doing with our lifestyle? We're eating three times a day. Some people do snacks. Like, what are you putting in your mouth each of those meals, is it either helping your health or is it hurting your health? If mm. it's processed, low in fiber and high in sugar, it is not only hurting your gut microbiome, but it's increasing your blood sugar. It's increasing your inflammation. It's decreasing productivity and mental clarity and all these things where if you eat a whole foods diet, that's rich in fiber and prebiotics and good nutrients that we need, we're basically helping our body fight disease. And the thing is we never want to be a hundred percent. Nobody is a hundred percent perfect. My husband and I love to go out to eat and enjoy food. We limit it to the weekend. We limit the portions that we have, but it is really about balance and it's what can you do forever? So if you try to start doing some of these things we're talking about and you can only make it a week and then you're back eating the way you were before, that's not lasting change. Yeah. And that's not going to help. I mean, and I like that you said that cause I've taken on that approach, like pretty much I was talking to I was talking to um, our mutual client one day on the phone and just kind of going through this. And I said, "Look, man, um, I just wait till Friday night, you know. And if, if, to me, if you can't wait till Friday night to eat cake, then you got bigger problems than I can solve for you. So, and then we're getting into some interesting things. So, but in that to say, you shouldn't beat yourself up for enjoying your kid's birthday party or, or you know, I can I can't. I'll tell you a funny story. We're living in Hawaii. And, you know, just like any CrossFit fanatic who wants to go to the games, um, you know, you're, you're doing funny things. One of those is eating paleo. And, and at that time, the big kick was gluten-free. So we had this great evening set up to go to Alan Wong's. And it's a great restaurant in Hawaii. It's a big deal. And when I made the reservations, I went out the way to tell them I'm a celiac. And they took it very serious. And it almost ruined the night where they were they kept asking me about this, this ingredient's that, we can't do this. And it was just like... I didn't need to go that far. Um, so, so, you know, that's, that's one way where you can get neurotic about this and limit yeah. yourself to an experience. And then fast forward, you know, I kept training. We go back to Alan Wong's. I didn't give him that. We had a great time, but you know, it's funny how people can get lost in the weeds, but it has to find a way to work for you. Um, and, and to continue that conversation and you kind of open the door a little bit to see how timing can affect the gut biome. Um, and I want to talk about that because the thing that I also do along with trying to stick whole foods through the week, I do time my meals where I follow more of an intermittent fasting approach. Um, my schedule is pretty much, and you tell me what you think about this, but I run my schedule pretty much Sunday evening to Friday morning. I'm pretty strict. And part of that strictness is I don't eat till 12 and I don't eat past eight o'clock um, at night. That, so, so talk to me a little bit about timing and, and, and to our audience about that. Yes. I think one of the biggest things that we've learned is intermittent fasting is really good, but intermittent fasting looks different for each person. So there's not, you know, your 12 to eight may work well for 75% of the people, but it might not for everybody. And so one of the things is we used to tell patients, and I even think back when I was practicing functional medicine six years ago, I would tell people to have small frequent meals throughout the day to Very keep their common. sugar stable yeah. and their metabolism going and all these things. And the research has really found the exact opposite. When you're eating all those small meals, you're increasing your insulin a little bit each time, which is suppressing glucagon and hindering your weight loss efforts, making you more hungry and triggering some slight inflammation. So 
when you get the longer fasting between meals, you're lowering your insulin, you're increasing your glucagon, you can be reducing inflammation, helping with stem cell, health, helping clear out the dead cells that we wanna get rid of. So there's a lot of evidence for intermittent fasting the caveat I always put in is some patients like to intermittent fast. It's easier for them to skip earlier in the day. So they're eating larger meals at night and then they're going to bed, you know, two hours after a larger meal. And my biggest thing is you want to have enough time as we're talking about gut health to be able to digest your food so that you get really good sleep quality because you want to be resting. You don't want to be digesting throughout the night. So I always recommend three to four hours before you go to bed to eat your last bite of food. If you can fit that in your intermittent fasting window, Love it. and then I don't know how many female listeners you have, but females are a little bit more sensitive to fasting windows than males because of our hormones. So if you're a female listening and you're not doing as well on the fast, you may need to flip it. You may need to eat breakfast and not eat uh, a later dinner. You may need to stop eating at four o'clock and that may work better for the female hormones. Yeah. I, the, well, and, the eating a the earlier I can eat more the better. I've found for me in particular. You know I have I'm I'm super sensitive. Things come off the rail. I'll usually notice because my wife and kids are like stop being mean to us, right? Because I get irritable. But a lot of that generally stems from sleep, and I'll work backwards to generally it's either TV viewing or snacking late at night. And then once those things are going down, everything else comes off the rails with sleep. And then all of a sudden I'm eating crap food and, and it goes off the rails in that way. And, and even if guys aren't, you know, I think a lot of the guys are even married. So maybe they can pass that on to their wives, you know, th that'd yeah. be good. Right. Then everybody's happier, but um, that makes sense. Um, so the intermittent fasting thing too, I also think works well with the hunting situation too, because the, the meals are, just the benefit in general that I like with the intermittent fasting is I'm not focused on food all the time. I'm not trying to get meals. Like when I'm intermittent fasting, I'm like, look at my watch. I'm like, Oh, I should probably eat something. Cause I haven't eaten today. Like I, I, I know that I'm a lot more regular in terms of cravings where I just don't get them. It's almost yeah. a conscious effort to eat. I'm not, I'm not a slave to eating. And that's because your insulin is most likely in, in balance and in check. And that's huge. Yeah. And then tell me about this too, because if you can get it in check, then you can also manipulate to do certain things. I mean, I know a lot of guys are interested in potentially bulking up and, and doing some of that. And if you can, if you're not, if you, if you're not running on insulin all the time, then you can get it when you need it. Right. And, and it may be influenced things like cell volume and taking on muscles and, 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 and putting on, putting on, putting on pounds and hormone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So keep on with that, fellers. Um, don't eat so much. And so the one other thing too, and I'll tell you where I got onto a little bit of this as well, and I'm tinkering with it, where, you know, a lot of guys who, and gals who are training, they're so interested in taking advantage of training, they're slamming meals right after training, or they're doing those shakes. But again, those shakes can be high in sugar, which we've talked about, don't do. Um, but also, is there, uh, the gut is interesting after um, strenuous exercise. It's more sensitive to things that um, could potentially hurt it, correct? Yes. So anytime, a lot of the, the reason for that in my thought uh, process is because exercise, especially strenuous training, really activates the sympathetic nervous system. And when your sympathetic nervous system is activated, you are not really channeling into the parasympathetic side, which is the rest and digest. So a lot of the research that I've found is really about what matters is the amount of protein that you've had in 24 hours, not 
immediately after a workout. Mm. And so a lot, some of our patients, they do great eating right before they work out and they do great eating right after they work out. But the vast majority, because of that sympathetic state, they need to let that cortisol come down, let the sympathetic nervous system calm down, get a little bit more into that parasympathetic side where they're able to rest and digest the food they're eating. So it may not be the food's fault. Like it may not be the shake that you're doing that's causing your digestive issues. It just may be too close to your workout where you need to let your body get back into a state where it's ready to digest. Oh, fired up. And just to sum up, I mean, when we talk about sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, you could talk about the husband and wife or the yin and yang of the brain, right? I mean, one of them is going to get you to uh, charge up a mountain. The other one's trying to get you to go to bed at night. And the parasympathetic is the one that wants to go to sleep. And sympathetic is the one that wants to get in the boxing ring. True? Exactly. Cool. So we're, 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 we're helping these guys out. We're helping, we're remembering some things too. So I'll tell you, so even if I, you know, I've always been heck bent lately on like, okay, I'm not going to eat the length of my workout. So if I have a 45 minute workout, I like to hang out at least 45 minutes before I start um, pounding food. And I do that for a variety of reasons. Like rather, you know, I'm not going to the CrossFit games anymore. I'm not so into my total and being big and I'm also not doing two a days. So I also am trying to train my body to do the recovery a little bit and try to grab what it needs and, and work through it. And I think that that's helpful, but I wonder if I could probably shorten that window. And I think, in, I think in an element that a lot of folks are missing in their training is turning on that off switch. So a big thing for me and a big thing I, um, you know, uh, the people I train for, I always program a three to five minute window where I get them into a basic stretch and I'm like, hey, gang, nose breathe for three to five minutes until you're calm because that's what turns on that recovery button. So after you do that, you could get into some food and start to tinker with it. And that's huge. We're starting to do a lot more breathing at the end of our workouts at STAT too. Just doing some of that alligator breathing, the deep, like to the base of your lungs breathing that really helps. Alligator breathing? Is it called alligator or crocodile where you're on your no, belly? Um, and you kind no. of just up a little bit and it allows you to expand into the base of your lungs oh very cool so it's more like belly awareness and dive i mean you're just trying to really feel i've so i'll generally have folks do it on their back um but is that so no i've not i've not done it on so what do you do with your face is your are you, is your face sideways and you're kind of, it's kind of like in your hands i'll have to send you a youtube video um r he's actually with athletes potential and you know danny that's how we originally oh, yeah. connected yep. So Jacob is one of the physical therapists over there and he has started doing all of our strength programming for stat wellness Very cool. and he has been adding in a lot more of that alligator and crocodile breathing and, um, into the workouts. So it's been cool to see, cause it was something that was very new to me and he was the one that introduced it to me. So you'll have to get him on here next and have him go into the reason why you should. It will, at, the, at the time of this release, I was on his active Atlanta podcast, right? So we're all doing this like podcasting handoff stuff and, uh, <laughs> I love it. So what I ultimately do with my post um, training breathing is, you know, if, if I have, if I'm doing a squat heavier, like heavy day, I, I like to put them in like a deep squat breathing. I try to mimic a posture because, you know, a lot of times what I'm trying to get athletes to do, you know, if they're doing all this stuff and then they get them into funny alligator shapes and breathing, you know, some, they're like, that's pretty granola coach. What's going on here? <laughs> so at least if it's a stretch, I'm just trying to tinker them into it. But but it, it's super helpful. And, you know, and it's just, you know, cause what's, what's the other common response, right? Cause we're also trying to fill our day with stuff. You know, you, 
maybe you're great enough where you're kicking butt and you're training in the morning, but then after you train, you don't even think about it. You slam coffee, get in the shower, get in the car. You've never turned on the recovery button. And it's hard to go 100 miles an hour, and we don't realize we're doing that when we do things like that. And honestly, some of my patients, because because of doing functional medicine and being a cash pay practice, a lot of people that come and see us, they've done a lot of really positive things with their lifestyle. And that piece that's missing is that sympathetic response. It is that go, go, go from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed and they're wondering why they're constipated. And it's not a food sensitivity. It's not a lack of fiber. They're not eating too much sugar. It's the fact that they are constantly in a sympathetic state. Their cortisol is firing all day long and it can slow down digestion. That damn cell phone's part of that, ain't it? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) right. And and the coffee and the things like that. Last thing I want to ask about the intermittent fasting and we're on these go, go, go buttons. Caffeine's a big one. Um, if, when I'm running my intermittent fasting approach and in general, how, how's coffee affecting either intermittent fasting and the gut? And I know that that's, those are probably very simple questions, two topics, but that's, that's loaded, right? Um, so, so, so hit the go button on caffeine because I know people are on here drinking this. Yes. So one of the things that I always challenge, I like coffee and a lot of my patients like coffee. I'm not an advocate that you have to stop all caffeine, but I do think it becomes more of a problem if it's your uh, clutch. If you are reliant on caffeine, there's an underlying energy deficiency. And I try to figure out what that is. So I think if you were like, I have to have my coffee to survive, I have to have a second cup in the afternoon. That's a problem. If you are somebody that enjoys your morning coffee, it's been a ritual for you. You don't feel depleted without it. I think coffee is a great antioxidant, especially if you're buying organic coffee. That is something that I'm a big proponent of because a you lot buy of good coffee. You buy it makes a huge difference because a lot of these beans have pesticides, herbicides, glyphosates. Um, some of them have mold. I mean, the heavy metals. So I suggest getting an organic coffee if you're drinking it every day because you're pressing through those beans and it makes a big difference. But Coffee is a stimulant. So first thing in the morning, when you look at your circadian rhythm, your cortisol is the highest it's going to be all day long. So if you're fasting and you have low blood sugar and you're drinking a lot of coffee, it can really stress out your adrenals. And that's one of the reasons why we see our females don't do as well on it. For some reason, our males, the stress, and I I think it's probably because males mind is usually calmer the rest of the day, Mm. but males seem to do okay with it. um, In my experience with my patients. So one thing to be aware of is your blood sugar is already low, cortisol's at the highest, you're adding caffeine, which is a stimulant. How do you feel? I think it's really important to check in. Do you feel nervous or anxious? Do you feel jittery inside? Do you feel like you're almost like manic where you're getting every single thing done? All those things, that can be good short-term because your productivity goes up, but that's really going to impact your adrenals long-term. Some of our patients that do intermittent fasting, they feel productive, they feel good, it's a clean energy source, they don't feel nervous or anxious or jittery. So you wanna pay attention to how your body's breaking it down. But I do count caffeine as an okay thing to do while you're fasting, but I do recommend my patients do it completely black. I know one of the big debates in the intermittent fasting world is, well, is MCT oil or something that is carb-free okay to do with your coffee? And it's not going to cause that same insulin spike as if you had a carb in the morning, but it is still a fat and it is still something that your liver is breaking down, your gut is absorbing. So for me, if you want to truly do an intermittent fast, I think water and black coffee is fine. I recommend choosing organic and see how it makes you feel. 
that is a true fast to me. If you are just trying to do more calorie restriction and if you're trying to um, keep your insulin levels low to still get the benefit of the intermittent fasting, something like MCT oil that has no carbs or sugar is an appropriate thing to put in that sometimes slows down the caffeine burn and can help enhance mental clarity first thing in the morning. Very cool. There it is. Um, and, and again, I think, I think what you keep saying too is see how you feel. I don't know if many people are doing enough of that because, you know, again, when we, we look at modern society in this, in, in the United States versus maybe what's even going on for a lot of our listeners who go off into the woods, they're in complete contrast. And at no point do we slow down and actually pay attention to how something gets us. We're, we're training, we're getting to the coffee to get to the shower, to get to the car, to get to work, to pick the kids up. And then at the end of the day, we're like, what? Right. So, so to stop and pay attention a bit. Um, Absolutely. And I think if folks tinker with coffee, they'll learn to enjoy it because there's, there's differences and nuances with the black coffee. I mean, do you like coffee or do you like sugar and cream? Because, because, <laughs> you know, different, different things and different things. And I'll tell you a coffee thing that I actually like to enjoy something that I do on Fridays. I look forward to, especially here in the summer, when I have time to do it. You know, when you burr grind it the right way and you get a good coffee and then you, you French press it, you know, um, there's no paper filter. You actually are, if you want to find out if you really like coffee, French press it, um, and, and, and break it down the right way. And you'll find out if you like that coffee. So. And, and you get more of those oils as like coffee yeah. oils that in the antioxidants, I'm a huge proponent of French press. So it, it's safe to say that, um, let me put it right here. If, you, if you're just throwing your Folgers um, into the Mr. Coffee, you, it, you're really not getting the same effect as if you're French pressing, you know, local Joe's fine roasted Ethiopian bean from whereverville right so uh but but there is value to that and i know again we'll, we'll make it that that sounds granola and, and whatever but but i think that that's cool too because you really do then enjoy that process right so um so get with it do that folks um well cool man uh i, I really like it and i, I do want to um throw something to our hunters who are getting out there and getting ready for things because I, I see you know there's some things we can do we've done all this work if we're listening to this podcast and maybe you're going to apply this for the next month and get after it. But then all of a sudden you do have to go off into the woods, right? If it, it and I want to talk about how travel can affect the gut biome and what we can preemptively do that. For, for instance, I'm going to be going, I live in Tacoma right now, but we're going to be going to Oregon. I know that's same regionally, but some guys are doing bigger travels. I mean, a lot of guys, they're going to be coming from Atlanta to hunt in Western States. So how can we prepare our gut for that travel? Yes. So anytime that you have a major change in your diet, your gut's going to change. Yeah. So if when you travel, you are on your way there, stopping and getting fast food that you would never eat before. If you are going into Subway and eating a loaf of bread where you really don't eat much gluten at home, you are going to have digestive changes. So the thing I encourage patients to do when they travel is try to eat as consistently as you can to what it looks like at home. Hmm but also not to stress if you do have to stop and get a meal because there's a lot of things you can do to counteract that. But the biggest thing I encourage my patients to do when you travel is make sure you find places where you can still get vegetables. And I know when you're hunting, this probably looks very different and um, you can tell me, but, and I have a few ideas with some of the like freeze dried meals and things like that. But one of the things you really want to make sure is when you're traveling that you're still getting good amounts of fiber and you're still getting adequate hydration. And traveling for a lot of people really dehydrates them. Mm. Even if you're driving, you're drinking less water because you don't want to stop and use the bathroom. 
you are waiting until you're actually thirsty to have a sip of water, which we all know that means that you're already dehydrated. So one of my big things that has helped my patients keep their gut healthy, stay hydrated is adding electrolytes into their water when they travel. I think that is something that's really important because if you're eating out at restaurants, you're getting a lot of salt, but if you're hunting and you're doing, you know, these freeze dried meal meals or things, you may not be getting as much electrolytes as you would be getting if you were at home using your pink Himalayan salt, saltic salt. So I really like good Anya is an organic, uh, electrolyte. I really like key nutrients. I put one, a scoop of that in my water every single day. And it has some B's and vitamin C and trace minerals as well. But I think the hydration is really key. And adding in the electrolytes when you travel is going to help you stay hydrated and help your gut work well. The other thing is making sure you still try to figure out ways to get whole foods. There's a lot more organic meals that you can get now while you're out hunting that are freeze dried that still add a lot of fiber. Because one of the big things that was missing on a lot of these meals to go was they were higher in sugar and they were lower in fiber, which is the exact opposite of what we want for gut health. And a lot of places now like Patagonia are coming out with organic meals that are high in fiber and great while hunting. Um, how do you typically do it when you're hunting? Do you find vegetables? Are you cooking over a fire? Are you catching your own meat? Tell me about what your diet looks like. Yeah. So what ends up happening when we're out in camp, I mean, we, we set up a base camp right now. And one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because what we're going to be doing, I'm going to be doing it for the first time is um, I'll have a mobile camp. We'll be on the back, right? So we won't have the big base camp. But generally what we've done the last two years is we'll have a big base camp and pretty much car camping and guys bring in stuff and there's a full cook and not, not, well, not a full cook where someone's cooking, right? So I generally will, and I guess where I would be winning uh, based off your recommendations, I make the stuff that I'm already eating at home and I freeze it, bring it into the woods. And cause you know, keep it in a cooler. I can just prepare it right there. So I, I do try to eat just like there, but I'll tell you the one part where we're screwing that up is, uh, guys get fired up and they want to make, you know, big dishes for their buddies. Right. So, you know, some different things that you might not be getting into like, uh, you know, biscuits and eggs and, you know, big pancake breakfasts, but you know, it's just not what you're normally doing. Right. Um, so, so in that regard, but that's why I did, well, I'm glad you brought up the freeze dried meals because we'll probably be doing some more of that stuff. Have you done enough of that where you've looked at the ones, if you could make a recommendation for ones that are higher in fiber and lower in sugar? Cause I think a big one, there's like Heather's choice is a big one, but the, uh, most of the ones I see in camp are like these mountain house meals. And when I look at the, when I look at the ingredients, when I see ingredients lists that are like this, I kind of, it turns it always just turns on a flag to me. Yes. Yes. I think it's really important to look at the ingredient list and see the biggest one that I've had my patients that have gone and like hiked the Appalachian trail when I've done some digging for them. Cause these are not things that I actually take on my own. I don't really have sure. a reason to do these meals, but I have done some research to look into them, but it's really the Patagonia provisions. They're organic meals and they really pride themselves on being whole ingredients with good amounts of fiber and protein. So I always encourage, I love that one, it's certified organic and two, that they really put on all of their things, how much fiber is in it. So mm -hmm. I really like Patagonia provisions. The other thing that a lot of my patients get in um, kind of a bad habit of is getting some of these really high sugar, uh, like protein bars for energy. That's what I was going to say to you. That's the big thing, right? Cause you can pack a lot of calories. They're easy. And 
look, it, it's cool to get to the top of a mountain and it feels good to have a piece of chocolate sometimes, right? So there's some of that, but the bar game is really interesting in, in, in this space. Yes. And one of the big things I always encourage my patients if they're able to is really getting it from whole foods. So like a lot of my patients that do backpacking and traveling, they'll keep like an organic beef jerky that's grass fed and they'll do things like that to get clean sources of protein, depending on your activity level. Like if you guys are running up and down these mountains, you may need more of those carbs and you may go through your glycogen stores and you do need something with a little bit more carbs and sugar. I just tend to be a purist. Yeah, so yeah. if you need dates and sugar, I mean, if you need sugar and quick energy, I really love keeping dried dates on hand because those are going to be pure ingredients. The only ingredient is date. It doesn't have any added sugar and it's really quick energy source. It's a high glycemic food. So if you are getting a lot of activity, again, you need your carbs, but you may not want a bar that again has 30 ingredients in it and half of them you can't recognize. And if you can't recognize them or pronounce it, your body doesn't know what to do with them. And I think the other point you brought up that's interesting too, is if you're probably, you should probably try the bar, you know, a couple of weeks before camp. Right. I mean, I see a lot of guys who, Oh, I'm trying this. And I'm like, uh, you know what we're doing over the next five days. It's going to be pretty rough. What if there's a, what if there's an issue? I mean, the last thing you want to do is, is, is eat something funny that's going to throw you, throw you on the pot or, or, or put you in a really uncomfortable position. So, so tinker with it before. And, and that probably would be recommendations, whether you're tinkering with a hydration supplement, you want to try a bar or you're going to be prepping a meal, like try it first. I mean, yeah. it's, that sounds simple, but I think it's often overlooked. Yes. I know when I ran my marathon in California, I had always done more natural organic sources of energy. Like a lot of the dates dipped in almond butter and things. And I was like at mile 20 and there were people handing out goose and I was like running by and I was like, Oh, I probably need some extra fuel. Like I'm going to eat one of these goose. It was yeah. like a brick on my stomach as sure. I'm running. And I'm like, I never, to your point, exactly. I should have, if I was going to do a goo, I should have run and trained and try to goo and realized this isn't for me. Sure. <laughs> so, so, so is there a case to, if you know, let's say, you know, because let's say you do the math and you decided, you know, I'm, before camp, I'm kicking butt. I'm, 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 I'm doing this. I'm living the right life. I've worked really hard the last year to build my body up. But as you're doing the math on weight, accessibility, wanting to make sure you have enough calories, if you do find that although you've been living the pure organic, you're shredded, you're killing it, you're a Ferrari, you find out that, okay, when I go to camp, I can't live the Ferrari lifestyle because wife can't make my meals. Um, I can't chop the vegetables. Um, is and it makes me think of this fella, um, belt, but ace triumph in Hawaii, um, was a special forces guy. And he knew when he was going down range, he had to start sneaking gluten and different things in his diet. Cause I can't, this is what's going to be available to me. So is there also a little bit of value in going backwards before you go forward? For I think one of my big things is if you're doing everything right, 80% of the time, you have room for 20% of the time to be completely off what you're doing. Yeah. If you are like, okay, I go out to eat one meal and you don't feel digestively okay for 48 hours, your gut is not healthy. It's not at a healthy place. You should be able to adapt and 20% of the time be asymptomatic and feel fine. So I think there's a lot to that. And depending on your energy expenditure, you may not be able to eat enough calories in these healthier things. Like the 
frozen meals or the beef jerky, the electrolytes, it may not be enough calories where you're like, you need to go get a hearty meal to get your energy up. Again, if you're 80% of the time at home doing really, really well, you have room for that meal and you should. So yes, I think that it's really important to get your body as healthy as possible. So you have room for those times where you're not eating as clean or you are putting yourself through more of an endurance, uh, pushing yourself to the limits. You want to be able to have those reserves from all the work that you did prior. Very cool. So let me, last question on this is as we're sitting here in July and this will, this will come out, uh, in July still. Um, if, if, if I really delayed, it'll be early August, but that we're putting guys in a four to six week window, depending on where they're hunting, um, to get into some of these high end camps. Is that too tight a window to really make adjustments or is that where like, okay, however you're, I mean, okay, I see you shaking your head. You already beat me to it. So, so what's the window look like to really get after making change? So our thing, you can make so much change in four weeks. I think four to six weeks is fantastic. When you're talking about actually healing your gut, if you're in a state of total dysfunction with your gut, it's not going to be completely healed in four to six weeks, but little by little, little becomes a lot. Every change that you make is going to have a positive impact. So you may not be at our hundred percent where we want you, but it's going to make an impact. So start today with small changes because little by little, little becomes a lot. Most of the time with our patients, we always say eight to 12 weeks is really what you need to give things to see the full benefit. But four weeks is still an excellent amount of time to make a change and to still see some of the impact. Awesome. And then I'm looking at my notes and I have one last question and it kind of is going to come out of order um, because, but it is an important one for me. I know like the, there's a, you know, when, when we first talked a couple of years ago, the big trend was paleo and we we're talking about that. And if you look at what this paleo situation is, meat, vegetables, pretty varied diet. I still like that prescription the best, but it seems to me like there's been this really weird, like macronutrient cornering that people are trying to put themselves in. I'm going to eat keto. I'm going to eat carnivore. I'm going to be a vegan. Um, and I, I just want to know if, if has, has there been enough research or have you had enough experience to see how you know, if somebody wants to go carnivore, is the fiber situation different it, or, or, or how do these macronutrient balances, how does that affect the, the gut biome? So the biggest thing that I see in people that go carnivore or go, um, um, oh, we, the, 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 are Joe? we still there? No. Yeah. It got a little interesting. Okay, good. I was like, I think for a yeah, it's playing with. So, I think keto and still doing it. Yeah, it's going in and out. It's really. How is it now? Uh, try again. How's your internet? Is your yours looking? Yeah, I'm still good. I don't know if somebody. Yeah, it got super interesting. I don't know what's um. It was doing great. Can you see me better now? Yeah, you're good now. Let's go back to it. Sorry about that, guys and gals. (laughs) Hey, technology. Again, we're on the opposite sides of the United States. Yeah, that's right. Did you expect there not to be a problem? No, that's, I mean. 
I know, really. Yep. So the biggest thing with ketogenic and carnivore is you don't get the fiber because you're not eating a lot of the vegetables because those have carbs. You're not eating a lot of berries. You're not eating lentils. So the biggest thing that we see is gut microbiome changes and more digestive dysfunction. So if you are somebody that feels better on a ketogenic diet, I do think it's essential to be taking probiotics and prebiotics. A lot of my patients on those plans will actually supplement with a fiber. So whether it's acacia fiber, uh, which just dissolves in anything you drink, you usually have to supplement because fiber is so important for gut health and you are going to do a long, a long, long-term negative impact on your gut microbiome if you stay low fiber and keto long-term. Okay. Well, there it is. Um, it's an opinion from a doc. And I love what you said earlier too, like you said some cool terms where you talk about how you work with your patients. And I think there is a big difference between cash-based practices and like, you know, cause you spend time with your patients. I mean, you're, you're sitting, you're talking with them um, as opposed to just cycling them in and out. I mean, I can remember even with my kids, we'll sit there for 45 minutes. We get there on time. You're waiting in line and then you get, you got the nurse check in. Then all of a sudden three minutes with the doctor, they give you a pen and paper and you leave, but you're, you're practicing what you guys are doing. Functional medicine is a little bit different. You're, I love it. You said, we're coaching our, our, um, patients. And that's such a, it just, it's different than I'm treating them. It's a partnership for sure. And our new patients, I mean, each new patient visit is an hour of time together because you've got to go through their whole history. You can't do that in 15 minutes. Yeah. So I think, I think it's cool. Um, there's the, how can folks find functional medicine doctors? I mean, you're in Atlanta, go check her out if y'all want. Uh, but you gotta, even now flying's difficult, right? Um, is this and something we work f- with patients virtually? So we oh, use, very cool. um, zoom very much like we are, we have HIPAA compliant technology platforms where we meet with patients and send lab orders and everything to them. But if you want to look for someone local, the Institute of functional medicine is who my board certification is through. And if you go to IFM's website, you can look at your zip code and find people that are certified in functional medicine through the Institute of Functional Medicine. Yeah, I love fun- I love the idea of functional medicine. I think that there's some great applications for even Western, me- Western medicine. I mean, if you're sick, it's a great fix for things if there's something crazy and acute that comes up. But if you're looking to cultivate health, I think you go to uh, someone like what you're doing, right? I think someone put the term to me that, you know, Eastern medicine, you're more of a gardener, um, Western medicine, you're more of a mechanic. And and I think- I love that. But but I think what it's important that we need both sometimes. And I, I don't think that by by saying, hey, find a functional medicine doc, we're saying that your system's wrong. It's just different. And there, there's, there's good and bad to all of it. Exactly. And that's why I love functional medicine because it we are all Western medicine trained. We still write prescriptions on a daily basis. We believe in conventional medicine. We're just trying to take a deeper dive and figure out the why behind your symptoms, diseases, issues. Yeah. And I love it. You even went in the beginning, you brought up and some guys' heads might've turned or gals. Uh, you're going to ask me if I was breastfed or, or what I was doing or if I was, I mean, you go way back to how the delivery um, would affect it. And um, I, I can't get that thought out of my mind and, and tell me what you're thinking. I remember one time at the tail end of, we had a big batch of breast milk that Eliza didn't want to feed to the kids because it sat in there for about a year and I found it. I tried to make yogurt out of it and I wouldn't let it go. But, um, but that, but it, it's cool to think that far back because it, it is a big puzzle. It's a healthy puzzle. We should be trying to fix our whole life. So um, ho- hopefully I think you've done a little bit to help folks uh, tinker with that. Um, I'll leave it to this, um, a, a final thought for folks um, that you want them from you 
to walk away with at the end of this episode, whether it's they're a hunter or they want to help their wife or for you, you got the floor for a couple of moments. My biggest thing to tell everybody is that we have a lot of power over our life and what we put in our mouth matters, how we move our body matters. And every small change makes a big difference. I know I said that earlier, but I think we don't take enough time to really appreciate the body we have. And I always tell patients, the body you're in today is the only body that you have and Mm. you want to take care of it. And you have to understand what is your why? Why do you want to eat more whole foods and fiber? Why do you want to keep your inflammation down? Why do you want to have a healthy gut? Is it to be able to be with your grandkids? Is it to be able to go on this 10 day elk hunting journey? Is it to be able to travel through retirement pain-free? Is it to not have to be taking four medications when you're 65 that all have side effects with each other? So I think it's really important to understand your why. And then just remember that if you're not ready for all of this, if this was like way overwhelming, you're like, I don't even care about the gut microbiome, (laughs) (laughs) just choose one thing that you want to start doing. Like, hey, you know what? I really shouldn't drink that Coke every day. I'm going to really save that Coke for a special occasion. And that is going to make a huge difference on your health in the long run. Cool. There it is, guys. We talked a little bit about timing of food, um, prebiotic, probiotic, not eating sugar, adding these things, different freeze-dried meals. And look, I think there's a lot and I I love it. So if there, and maybe trust your instincts on that. Like if there was one point, oh, that resonated, that's where you start. And then I would really welcome you guys all to go back and listen and then check out um, Kristen's website. Um, It's Stat Wellness in Atlanta. Do you guys do any blogging or article writing? I mean, is there, is there low hanging fruit for our guys just to go check in on? Absolutely. We have a blog. We post pretty regularly. We could do a lot better, but um, yes, we've got a blog that we do. We also send out a newsletter every Tuesday that you can sign up on the website. And we put a medicine fact, a movement fact, and a mindfulness fact every Tuesday and it's research-based. So it's just little tidbits of knowledge um, that's completely free. And then we have our Instagram where you'll see we do like team takeovers and you can see what some of our wellness specialists do throughout the day and kind of learn from that as well. All right. Maybe I'll have to contribute to your little writing thing. We'll have to get a little, you know, tip from a tip from uh, these guys slinging arrows from across the country. But, uh, but I think whether it's like functional medicine doc or guy who likes to stump up the woods, I mean, if you can walk that back to like, I just want to be the best human possible. We're all trying to do the same thing. So, so why not give it a role there? So uh, Kristen, this was great. Uh, Fun to talk with you. It's cool. Um, Say say a couple of those bacteria's names again that's living in our belly that we need to kind of conjure up and feel good. What are they? The good ones. We need more Lactobacillus, Bifidobacterium, okay. and Saccharomyces boulardii. There it is. Saccharomyces boulardii. Did I say it right? Sounds great to me. All right. If that's... um. If I can do it, y'all can do it, folks. Um, uh, hopefully, we've given you something to train, hunt, and live your best life possible. We're trying here. Um, if we can do better, let us know. Reach out however possible. But uh, and before the next episode, go on Kristen's website, check out what they're doing, and um, try one of the dang things that uh, we talked about on the show. But until the next one, guys, thanks a bunch. Kristen, excellent show. You know, Jeremy always gives us a God bless America at the end of the show. Um, any, 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 uh, anybody you want to send a blessing to before we, before we send our audience off? <laughs> A blessing. Can I make a blessing for my future baby girl? Oh, you got you got a kiddo in the oven there. Kiddo in the oven. She'll be here in less than 12 weeks. So in the third trimester. All right. Well, God bless good people having, uh, making good babies. That's all what we need more of. So we'll do that one. Thanks a lot, Kristen. Thank you. Awesome.